Well, it's been an interesting summer so far in the book of Ephesians. Let's do a brief recap here to get ourselves situated. Jeremy opened our series with Ephesians 1, deep theology reminding us of our chosenness before the foundation of the world, the profound connection of everyone and everything in this world, our interdependency, and the notion that the maker of the whole universe is gathering up everything in all of creation with the purpose of healing and blessing. Week two, Jeremy spoke of how diverse the church can and will be, with Christ as our peace, both Jews and Gentiles came together and were called to, as we are called to, one new humanity, a call to be one people. Last week, Ryan took us through the hinge point of the Ephesians letter. All of God's providence, generosity, and awe-inspiring capacity that was spoken about in the first portion of the letter is wrapped up in the Ephesians 3 prayer. And we, are, we were encouraged to pray, as the author prayed, that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith as we are being rooted and grounded in love a prayer for an encounter with the living Lord. I hope you prayed that prayer through this last week. This week, we are in Ephesians 4. This is another turning point in this letter. In typical Pauline style, the author turns from the grand theological vision that he has laid out, the nature of the church, to the nature and maybe even the nurture of the Christian life. This is sometimes expressed as moving from the indicative to the imperative, from theology to ethics, or from theory to practice. There's still plenty of theology here, but the emphasis is now on the practical. The author makes this transition as he does elsewhere in his letters with that ever-important word, therefore. And this is important because it indicates that all the theological foundation that's been built up to this point is the basis for the ethics that we'll now be talking about, the how we proceed to live out our calling. And remember, from week two, we are called to one new humanity. We are called to be one people. And we are called to do this with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. How's that going for you? I struggle. I talked to Ryan before, you know, like during the first time I read this scripture, and I said, wow, this seems like a heavy-duty checklist. You know, how do we say, oh, with all humility, check. With gentleness, check. With patience, oh, for sure, that's me, check. Bearing with one another in love, oh, no problem. I struggle. So I was trying to come up with a picture of what this looks like or should look like, when fortunately, a story popped up on my Facebook feed. 
I can't believe it that I missed it the first time this came around, but I think some of you will recognize the story. This is a story from a cross-country race run in Spain in 2012. There was a Kenyan runner, Abel Mute. He was only a few meters from the finish line, maybe 10, maybe 20, but he got confused with the signs because he didn't understand Spanish. And he stopped, thinking he had finished the race. A Spanish man who was about 20 meters behind him, Ivan Fernandez, realized what was going on, and he yelled out to the guy, keep going, keep running. But Mutai, Mutai did not understand Spanish, and so he didn't move. So again, Fernandez realized what was going on, and when he got to Mutay, he pushed him forward and pushed him across the finish line, so Mutay got the victory. Afterwards, a reporter asked Ivan, why did you do this? And the 24-year-old Ivan replied, my dream is that one day we can have some sort of community life where we push ourselves and help each other to win. The reporter insisted, but why did you let the Kenyan win? And Ivan replied, I didn't let him win. He was going to win. The race was his. The reporter insisted again, but you could have won. Ivan looked at him and replied, But what would be the merit of my victory? What would be the honor of of this medal? And he also said, what would my mother say? (laughs) I was flabbergasted by this account because I put myself in the story as Ivan. And I imagined myself running this terribly long race uh, and going at 200% of my effort having trained for this all my life. And I captured some of the thoughts that I thought I might have thought, which would be something along the lines of, oh, my lucky day has arrived. Or maybe even, wow, what are the odds? God must mean for me to win this race. Thank you, God. As I was processing all of this in my mind, I recognized a longing rise up in me. I want a heart like Ivan's. He seems to understand here that there is not a winning humanity and a losing humanity. There is just one humanity one community where we push ourselves and help each other win. Many of us have been so conditioned to pursue the win, all of our wins, financial wins, career wins, house wins, sidhu wins, even at the cost of others. And we don't even always realize it. Look at the story of David that we read. Even David, man after God's own heart, seemed oblivious to his own sin, which seemed very apparent to us. 
The prophet Nathan was sent to him and told him his story where David clearly recognized the wrong. He gets very angry and says, the man should die. And Nathan tells him the truth. That man is you. David was living a life that was not worthy of his calling. Where are we living lives that are not worthy of our calling? Are we living in a community where we push ourselves and help each other win? Where we find ways to help each other see where we are living incongruently with our values? Where we are open to hearing from others with very different perspectives. Because there is not a winning church and a losing church. There is just one church. This themeness, or this theme of oneness and unity is the most prevalent here in this portion of scripture. Okay, who recognizes this? I'm going to test my singing voice. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Can I see some hands? Okay. Yes, those aging hands like mine. Yes. Uh, This was Three Dog Night. And despite the assertion or their assertion that one is the loneliest number, one is not the loneliest number in Ephesians 4. In fact, there are seven ones in this passage. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. At the time this was written, radically different traditions of religious experience were converging into this new way the Christian faith. And this letter is spelling out the ongoing reconciling work of Christ in their midst. This is like a course. This portion of scripture is like a course named The Way 101. Who has heard of Coach John Wooden? Hopefully some of you. John Wooden was the winningest coach in history. In his, I believe it was 12 years as the head coach of the college basketball team, the UCLA Bruins, they had four seasons of undefeated wins. Well, Wooden had a very interesting way of starting off his seasons with his new players. Freshman players coming in were all excited to be under this world-renowned coach, thinking, oh, what tips are we going to get? What little bits of wisdom? What nuggets about this great game of basketball would be coming their way? And Wooden would tell them to take off their socks and shoes. Then Wooden would say, I'm going to show you the proper way to put on your socks and shoes. And after 30 minutes of putting on socks and shoes, Coach Wooden would stand up and explain. If there are wrinkles in our socks or our shoes aren't properly tied, 
we may develop blisters. With blisters, some players may have to miss practice. When we miss our practice together, we may not be ready to play our best on game day. And if we don't play at our best level, we may not win. All because we did not pay proper attention to how we put on our socks and shoes. Wooden said, with regards to why he began each season like this, I believe in the basics. A renowned business coach wrote about this on his blog, and this is what I think is central to our message today. He says, Beginning their time together with an in-depth discussion of how to put on socks and shoes provides the sort of identity story that can become a central building block of the team's culture. It speaks to who they are, what they stand for, how they do things, and precisely why they do them the way that they do. I read that and I thought, this sounds an awful lot like the letter of Ephesians and the letter to us. This is our identity statement. It speaks to who we are, a diverse people with diverse histories and diverse gifts called, again, to one humanity. We are called to be one people. It speaks to what we stand for. We stand for one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Unity. It speaks to how we do things. We practice doing things with all humility and gentleness, all patience, bearing with one another in love. It's a practice. It's a process. It's a prayer. A prayer for an encounter with the living Lord, Jesus, who is in us to root us and ground us in love. It's not about trying harder but tapping into the living Lord who dwells within. That is good news. More good news is that we've been given gifts to help us, just as Coach Wooden was a gift to his team to guide those players from a point of putting on their socks and shoes properly into mature basketball players. The gifts Christ has given us, saints, are in the form of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are our coaches. And maybe each of us has been in one of these functions before with our friends in Christ. These are people to speak into our lives. Their work is to equip us. Our work is to equip each other, to build up our body, that is, the body of Christ, until we all come into the unity of the faith as we work toward and become mature as we grow up. And why do we do these things? I like one commentator who suggests we might take a minority application of verse 14 
and I quote, in which we conclude that mature Christians know that different trends in thought, along with deceitful ways and empire building, are always with us. And that equipped with that knowledge of this inevitability, they are not shaken. Such mature Christians stay focused on their own commitment to giving their witness to the truth in love, the truth we have learned here in Ephesians, and to participating in the maturation of the body. And, in fact, this is how we participate in God's plan of gathering everything together as one for the purpose of blessing and healing. That is good news. Amen.